A young man grew up in the gentrified inner city, a child of the upper middle class in a family of lukewarm faith. It was a time of tension in his land. There was constant war. As was true of many of his peers, the young man admired the bravery and the valor of those who went to war. Some returned home heroes. Others returned in caskets. He daydreamed of the day when his service would come. He would be brave and smart, the hero and the one welcomed home by the prettiest girl in town. He prepared. As he did, he found his heart changing. And one day, something profound happened to him. He was partying with his friends, which for him was not unusual. He left, and he returned different. He never told his friends exactly what happened, but they all saw the change. He began to put aside the dreams of success he held before. As they yielded to a new set of dreams and ambitions, a new definition of success. His family members were worried. His friends and family tried to turn back a change they little understood that was occurring in this promising young man. Facing harsh, harsh criticism from friends and strong opposition from family, the young man walked to the center of the city. And there, standing in the square outside the cathedral, Francis removed his clothes and stood naked in the heart of Assisi, and that day made his declaration to follow Christ totally. No longer dependent on his earlier dreams and society's definition of success, Francis was in love with Jesus, and he determined to live the full gospel of Jesus in a radical way. He embraced a lifestyle of poverty, learning what it is to be completely dependent on God in imitation of Jesus. Others followed him in this radical lifestyle, both men and women, and in ways he could never have predicted in his younger dreams. Francis of Assisi became one of the most admired leaders of all time. In another time and place, a young man was reared in a similar environment, a privileged family and a time of tension, economically and politically. His older brother was destined to take over the family household and all its possessions and honor. Nonetheless, the young man dreamt of how he would distinguish himself. He read books and he daydreamed that he lived the stories he read. He would become a soldier, a leader, a knight in shining armor. He would show that he could plan and strategize, that he could command and lead with boldness and cunning. Though he had always lived in the shadow of his older brothers, he would find his own way of making himself known for valor. He would be the envy of all and marry the most beautiful young woman. 
He already had a well-earned reputation for his charm and for partying. When the time finally came for him to do battle, he donned his armor and weapons, and he stood prepared for command. As the older and experienced soldiers retreated from the much stronger advancing enemy, the young man raised himself up, heaved his sword, and beckoning others to follow, he charged the enemy. No one followed. An enemy cannonball broke his leg into pieces. He lay where he fell, unable to move. At the end of the day, an enemy physician found him nearly dead, recognizing that he had been the foolish young man who stood to lead the charge against them. The enemy physician, uncertain that his patient would make it through the night, put his bones back together roughly and moved on to help the more hopeful survivors. The fracture was poorly set, and although the young man survived, his vanity led him to insist that his leg be broken and reset two more times in the coming few years in an era long before anesthesia. As the young man lay in the home of an elderly couple who took him in during his recovery, he still daydreamed about the fantasies of his past, longing to pick up and read again the stories of his childhood and youth, tales of knights of valor who followed the Lord of the manor. He found only two books in the humble home of his hosts a tattered and well-read book of the lives of the saints, and an even more tattered Bible. Ignatius of Loyola picked up those two books, reluctantly at first, but found as he read in those books the same types of heroes, those who courageously followed their Lord, and who showed uncommon valor and courage and cunning. He read the Bible. He fell in love with Jesus. He saw how God wanted to use him in this world, bringing all of his past dreams and ambitions to bear on his future. Other young men followed him, and in ways he could never have imagined he became the leader he always wanted to be, a soldier for Christ. He called his little ragtag group the com Companions of Jesus. They, the Jesuits, became an army for God. Separated by years and miles, a young girl grew up in another city. She was, amazingly to our culture, one of 25 children in her family, living in dire poverty. The city was in financial distress, and there was little hope that she could break free of the cycle of poverty. Early in her life, she fell in love with Jesus, and she gave her life to him. She would allow her love for Jesus and his love for her and nothing else 
to be the guiding principle of her life. Told throughout her life that because of the poverty of her family and the poverty of her city and the situation in which she found herself, she would never amount to anything. Catherine allowed her mind to rise above her problems and the problems of Siena. Although she had never learned to write, she dictated letters, at first to friends and family, and then to government officials near and far, and to church leaders, priests, and bishops, writing even to the Pope, who was in exile in Avignon, France, admonishing him to return to Rome where he belonged, to return to where Peter was crucified for his faith in Jesus, to where Paul was beheaded for his preaching about Jesus, to where seven of Jesus' apostles are buried, to where countless saints and martyrs had lived and died for Jesus. The Pope did return to Rome because Catherine's words were anointed and her letters to the Pope were fully in accord with God's will. Catherine of Siena never left her hometown, but she is among the most influential world leaders of all time. She fell in love with Jesus and would pursue nothing other than her love for the Lord. Another woman grew up in a city in poverty. Her father was unemployed, not able to find a job because he was blacklisted. His politics did not fall in line with the political correctness of the government, and he found himself turned down for every job he sought. Then war broke out again. As the bombs fell outside of her home, the young woman, the young wife, prayed. And while her neighbors in the bomb shelters were beset by fear, she felt herself filled with a love so clear and so bright and so calming that she would recall for the rest of her life that God's love was stronger than the bombs that fell in the northern Italian city of Trent during World War II. Chiara Lubick determined then and there to help others find the hearth, a place of light and warmth in the cold darkness of the world's violence and selfishness. She was in love with Jesus and would not be bound by the negative thinking and the doom that surrounded her. She vowed to turn away from the injustice that she saw and to live her life only for Jesus, out of love, not fear, depending on nothing but God's goodness and grace. Beginning by doing little things to help the widows and mothers of soldiers killed in the war, she sat and prayed with them in the shelters during the bombing. Others joined her, bringing meals and doing what they could to make a war-torn city a little hearth of goodness and ungodliness. 
They aimed to see Jesus in every person and for love of Jesus to bring the warmth of his love to everyone. Chiara started to call her little movement the hearth, or focolare in Italian. Today, the focolare movement has millions of members around the world dedicated to loving Jesus more than anything and bringing the love of Jesus to everyone they meet. In 1991, a rather normal family had a rather normal child, a boy. Nominally Catholic, the family seldom went to church and they never prayed at home. The boy's mother, Antonia, to this day doesn't know how her son Carlo came to love Jesus. He'd been baptized as a baby, but the family didn't practice the faith. Somehow, however, in his early school years, Carlo fell in love with Jesus. Whenever they walked or drove past a church, he asked his bemused parents if they could stop and go into the church and visit Jesus in the tabernacle, if only for a few moments. Carlo Acutis was a child of his age. He had a PlayStation. He, pl he spent hours playing games. He was online with his friends all the time. As he became a teenager in the 2000s, he spent time with his friends. He learned to code, realizing that he had a talent to understand computers and programming. He moved into animation and video editing, making silly videos with his friends and dubbing voiceovers on videos of his dogs. He was pretty good at soccer, too. But nothing was more important to him than his love for Jesus. At age seven, Carlo received his first Holy Communion. For his parents, it wasn't that important, just something you do as a Catholic, a box to be checked off. Something happened to Carlo, though. From that day on, he never missed Mass. Not just Sundays. Every day of his life, Carlo went to Mass. As a child, he nagged his parents to take him to Mass every day. Reluctantly and begrudgingly, they did. As he asked more and more questions about his Catholic faith, his parents realized they had to learn. They took classes. They learned. They were never on fire for their faith as their son was. Their faith loved Jesus. Their son loved Jesus, but they loved him. When they traveled, Carlo's first order of business was to find a church and figure out mass times. Whether or not his parents joined him, Carlo would be there every single day, no matter where he was for Mass. The teenage Carlo was particularly close to the homeless people in his neighborhood. Packing up food most days, he rode his bike to take food to his friends on the street, to hear their stories, to learn about them, and to pray with them.
Though his family was wealthy, Carlo had no patience for excess. He saved his money to buy a sleeping bag for a homeless friend. He took what his friends on the street would need, and he often said that the homeless were Jesus in disguise. Carlo knew what it was to love Jesus and to know Jesus' love in return. One day, while surfing the internet, Carlo got an idea. This normal kid who watched cartoons and played games and enjoyed normal things felt sorrow in his heart for the many people who don't know Jesus, who claim to have faith, but whose souls are dead, especially those who don't go to Mass. They'll stand in line for hours to go to a concert, Carlo said, but they won't even stay a moment before Jesus in the tabernacle. Eager to do something to draw souls to Jesus, the teenager began to research Eucharistic miracles. He was convinced that people wouldn't be able to stay away from Holy Mass if they knew about the miracles that took place during Mass. So Carlo began to research, dragging his parents from one shrine to another all across Europe in order to take pictures for the website he was building. Carlo had the tech savvy, the information, and the drive, and the resulting website documenting nearly 150 Eucharistic miracles eventually developed into an exhibit that has traveled the world. And for those with a good memory, you'll recall that we had a small portion of that exhibit here in Minetti Hall about eight years ago. Through all of this, every day Carlo centered his day on the Mass, the Rosary, and silent time before the tabernacle. He insisted that holiness was impossible otherwise. He would say, the Eucharist is my highway to heaven, and nothing could get between him and his daily appointment with the Lord. The more we receive the Eucharist, he said, the more we will become like Jesus. Carlo wrote, we spend time before the sun and we become tan. We spend time before Jesus in the Eucharist and we become saints. Carlo hungered for heaven. We have always been awaited in heaven, he said. And throughout his life, his eyes were fixed on eternity. So when, at age 15, he went to the hospital with the flu and was diagnosed instead with advanced and untreatable leukemia, Carlo wasn't upset. He was ready. Three days later, Carlo Acutis was dead. He was a remarkable but very ordinary young man. He had no visions. He didn't levitate when he prayed. He just lived like heaven was real. He was completely himself. Video games and soccer and computer programming and all, but before anything else, he fell in love with Jesus. On his website, Carlo Acutis wrote a list of instructions for becoming holy. 
encouraging people to go to Mass daily and to confession weekly. But his very first rule for becoming holy was this. You must want it with all your heart. Venerable Carlo Acutis, dead at age 15, will be beatified later this year. All of these stories have one thing in common. Ordinary people who fell in love with Jesus and made that love the focus of every decision, every action, every word, every day. It all began with the challenge of Jesus we heard in the Gospel passage today to love him more than anyone else or anything else, to be more than someone who merely admires Jesus, more than merely a fan of Jesus, more than someone who presses the like button on the Gospel, but to make the decision right now to love Jesus more than anything else in your life, to follow him totally, to discover God's plan for your life and to fulfill it, and in that to know more peace than you can imagine.